had a sermon quite like that. It's usually a ball game you hear stuff like that. You guys do a really good job. Uh, welcome. Sean told me to make sure I told you that he misses you all. And uh, thinking about you this morning. It's always nice to have just a little bit of time away. And he's doing a little bit of that today. I think there's a wedding or something he had to go to, which is not really time away, is it? It's just kind of like work. But anyway, he sends his greetings to you. I'm glad to be here today, uh, usually up on the east side, and uh, I think I spoke here once before way back, way back, a couple of years ago, and glad to be here. You know, this, uh, the series we're in is the, a series about being a good neighbor, uh, love your neighbor kind of thing, and today, I, the, the question I just want to ask you is, what kind of neighbor are you? Uh, maybe we should ask your neighbors, what kind of neighbor are you? You know, in the Bible, when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor as yourself, the first thing that happened was a real religious person said, well, define neighbor for me. Remember that story? Because, you know, he just wanted to make sure he didn't have to love his neighbor too much or love somebody he wasn't supposed to love. So asked Jesus, okay, tell me who my neighbor is. So Jesus told the story, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan. And basically, the, the gist of the story is everybody that God's put in your path is a neighbor. A neighbor is one nearby you or one who is near you. So everywhere you go, that person that God places in your path is your neighbor. So that kind of really put those religious people off a little bit because they wanted a very narrow picture of who a neighbor might be. You know, it's somebody here or somebody there, but not those people there or those people there or those people there. Just define for me what a neighbor is and then I'll try to love my neighbor accordingly. Well, now we get that. We've heard sermons about the Good Samaritan, so we get that everybody is our neighbor. But at the same time, don't forget that you actually have neighbors. There are people around you. Now, some of you live, you know, in town, and you have neighbors. Some of you are out in the country, and your neighbors are a little farther away. But everybody's got neighbors. So you're not off the hook to say, well, I just love everybody, but my neighbors I don't like so much. It goes all the way to anybody that God places in your path is your neighbor. So if we polled your neighbors today, what would they say? It doesn't matter what you say. What would they say? Would anybody miss you if you moved out of the neighborhood? You know, several years ago, our church asked the question about our church. What happens if our church would close its doors and walk away? Would anybody in our neighborhood miss us? Would they even know that we had been there? And that's a great question because what that tells us is that we ought to be involved in our communities. We ought to be uh, world changers, influencers in our community. But there's an even deeper question. What would happen if you moved out of your neighborhood? Would anybody care? Would anybody notice? Or would they just be relieved to see you go? So I've got one point today. And once you hear my point, you can sort of drift off. Or you can sort of hang in with me. The point is this. Being a good neighbor begins with availability, not proximity. You can be next to a person your whole life and never be available to them. But being a good neighbor depends on and begins with You're being available, not just next door. Why does this even matter? Do you know that more Americans die from suicide than from car 
accidents or opioids. More Americans die because of suicide. There is a public health problem today, not only opioids, but researchers say that the growing public health problem is loneliness. In, in Great Britain alone, uh, most people feel, of the older generation particularly, lonely. Over, people over 45, according to the AARP, feel lonely. And the suicide rates go up. So, what we need more than ever are good neighbors. People who are connected to us. People who know us. People who know our story. People who care about us. So this loneliness epidemic, this lack of connection. You know, we've got more connection than ever and we're less connected. Isn't that true? We've got all sorts of things to connect us to this world. And yet we are unconnected. I think the not the funniest thing, but we do it, you know, when we go out to eat sometimes, that you'll notice people going out to eat, sitting across to one another, and what are they doing? <laughs> you know, in our house, we're watching a show, the kids are all over, what are they doing? They're texting, you know, texting us, but we're not really connected, we are connected, but we're not really connected. There's a sense of loneliness that comes from not being nearby, not being available in the space, maybe proximity, but not really availability. There are many examples in God's word of, of people doing good things for their neighbors or those nearby and for those who are blessing us. And so the guys who put this sermon series together, they, just, they decided to find a different character, which I'm not sure any of you have ever heard a sermon about this character because it, he is such a minor reference in the New Testament that you can easily read over it. The character's name is Epaphroditus. That's hard enough to say as it is. Anybody ever heard of that guy? See, he's pretty obscure. Epaphroditus is found only in the book of Philippians and only in just a few chapters. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 2, and we start with verse 25. Philippians 2, verse 25. But I think it is necessary, this is Paul talking, to send back to you Epaphroditus... My brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to me to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for me the help you yourself could not give. And then there's a very quick little reference down here in chapter 4, verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite, Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. You see, Paul was in prison, probably a horrible place to be, as we know, in Rome. The church that he had helped to start in, in Philippi heard of his distress, heard of his problem, and they sent a gift to him, probably a gift of money, as it seems here, because 
in those days uh, to support yourself and to help with uh, room and board, even in a prison. You had to have something, uh, somebody, somebody to help you along. And so they sent a gift of money down to help Paul in his distress. And apparently, apparently, when he got there, and uh, Paul says, I got your gift, and I was greatly appreciative of the gift, apparently, apparently he got sick. Epaphroditus got sick with something. And the, the text says he got sick almost to death. In other words, this was a, a near-death experience. So sick that Paul decides the best thing to do is when he gets a little bit better is to send him back because he's just not well. And so this man, who we only hear about, his name is only mentioned twice in the New Testament, comes from a faraway place, Philippi, travels many days down to give the gift, falls sick, can't complete really what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to take care of the needs of Paul. He could take care of them uh, with money, but not any other way, and they sent him back. Paul, you don't get a lot, you think Paul's a stern guy when you read in the New Testament his letters, but you also get a, a picture of his compassion because he's very concerned that when I send this poor sickly guy back, the, the people in the church are going to go, ah, you know, poor Epaphroditus, he just didn't cut it. They had to send it back. And so the compassion of Paul says, no, he did exactly what you asked him to do. And I am pleased with him. He's a fellow brother and a soldier. And all those words he uses, I'm sending him back to you. You should honor people like him who made themselves available to do God's work. You should honor people like that. This act of service was important enough to be remembered, written down, and we have it today. So there are some lessons that we can learn from Epaphroditus. First of all, serving is risky. It can cost you something. Do you know of the original 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, more than half of them suffered greatly for signing that document. Some lost their lives, their families, their homes, their reputations. Some lost everything in order to take the risk to sign that document. And we don't even know, we don't remember a lot of those names, do we? Because we remember some of the big ones, but we don't remember all of them. And many of the ones we don't remember were the ones who suffered the most. So when you go to serve, let's say, okay, I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to make myself available to my neighbors. A lot of stuff can go wrong. You know, I often say no good deed goes unpunished. People can misunderstand you. People can take advantage of you. You can just not quite get it right. And Epaphroditus is really a good model for us because he was sent on a mission and he just kind of completed it. But yet Paul says such a person is worthy of our honor not because he did everything he was supposed to do, but because he was willing to go. Because he was willing to take that long trip and go. Some people, since we don't really know, some people um, guess that he was a retired military man, a retired and converted soldier in the Roman army. And the, the uh, Philippi was a place where a lot of Roman soldiers evidently retired. They got land and they retired there. It appears that this may be what Epaphroditus was, a guy who had already, already collected social security and pension. He should be able to just sit around and live out his days. And yet when he, the church says, we need somebody to deliver this money, Epaphroditus, being connected with Rome in his past and converted now to Christianity, says, I'll go. And he takes that long trip. Perhaps he was already partly sick before he went. We don't just know anything about him. But he took a risk. And because of that, 
we hear about him today. But remember, serving, loving your neighbor, being close to those who God puts in your path, sometimes doesn't work out very well for you. Sometimes you even fail. But you know God even uses our greatest failures for good. We can learn something from them, and God can use them, just as he used this almost near failure of Epaphroditus. Another thing that I, can, I, I learned from this very short story is not all of your life, probably most of your life, you'll never be in the spotlight. And some of you are saying, I'm pretty glad because I never want to be in the spotlight, right? I don't want anybody to ever notice me. You know, there's an Eastern, the Eastern philosophy says that your purpose in life is to find your purpose, you know. And some people believe, you know, if, if I don't have one great shining moment, my life has been wasted. But most of us, our lives are lived not in a spotlight. They are lived just plain, ordinary lives, much like Epaphrodites. Much of what we do is never seen. And, and really, that's encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. Because he's an ordinary person who was available and stepped into the spotlight just for a very short period of time to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish and then back into the shadows, never to be seen or heard from again, back into obscurity. And so, although most of us don't want to be in the spotlight, we'd sure like to be noticed for what the good that we do. And in this case, Epaphroditus was noticed, but many of us never get noticed. But that is not the reward that you get. Notice is not the reward. Remember the story of the, the publican who said, God, I'm so glad that I'm such a great person and I do all these good works. And then the, the sinner who sat by and said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Which one was rewarded? Not the one who wants his spotlight, but the one who stood back and said, I'm just a humble servant. Uh, God, forgive me for the kind of person I am. So we, we've not, we're not all called to be up front. And in fact, isn't that great? Because here today, there are people not up front, and they're taking care of the kids. There are people to get the communion ready. There are people who do all sorts of things around here just to make sure that we can meet together. They don't ever really want the spotlight. And if you gave them the spotlight, they'd be embarrassed. That's what we learn from Epaphroditus. And another thing that I see here is Although he wasn't in the spotlight, he did not miss his opportunity. He got one shot at it, and he took it. He was available. According to some commentators, this is a 720-mile, 57-day trip, one way, just to get from Philippi down to Rome. That's no small trip by foot or maybe by cart or donkey or something. I don't know how he went, but that's a long trip. Think about walking 720 miles or even riding 729 miles. He took that opportunity. It was his one chance. Now, if, if just consider my neighborhood uh, and your neighborhood, if you live with houses around you and, and, and you go outside and there's your neighbor doing something, uh, what, what are you likely to do? Well, I'm likely to go hope they don't see me and get back in the house really quick. Maybe some of you are very out, outgoing. I, I don't often take my chance just to even say hello. We have retreated into our homes. We've retreated into our backyards or our decks or someplace where people can't see us. But sometimes when God puts someone into your path, perhaps that's an opportunity for you to be available. Perhaps that's an opportunity for you to be a good neighbor. 
You know, uh, when my kids were little, uh, we'd go to the store, and I, I, I am an introvert mostly, but I, I, used, I worked in, in sales. I've worked in service before, and I know how people treat people in sales and service. And usually at the grocery store, wherever, a gas station, wherever, I just talk to the people. And, Dad, why do you talk to those people? Don't you just... Well, because nobody else does. That's who God puts in your path. And it may just be one time that God puts a person in your path, but what you say to that person, you're doing a great job, or how's your day been today, might be the kind of thing that puts something in their life that they didn't have before. That's being a good neighbor. You say, well, that's not too hard. Exactly. When God puts somebody in your path and you make yourself available, it shouldn't be hard. I haven't used this one here, so I can use it here. What happens after church a lot of times with church people. They go out to eat, right? Lots of them. What did the servers say about the people after church who go out to eat? They say they're the rudest, most impatient, unkind, picky people, and they leave terrible tips. Is that the kind of neighbor you want to be? When God puts somebody in your path, Don't miss the opportunity. They were sitting in church one Sunday morning and somebody got up and said, we need somebody to take the money that we've collected down to Paul. Everybody went like this, except one guy, Epaphroditus. And what happened? He took it down, he delivered it, and then what happened? He got sick. I mean, really sick. He probably was thinking this is a bad idea. And yet, Paul says we honor people like that who don't miss the opportunity when it comes by. No act of kindness, no matter how small, is wasted. Small acts, when multiplied by millions of people, can transform the world. Have you ever heard of William Dawes, any of you history people? He was responsible for warning the patriots of the arriving British forces on that April evening of 1775. He saw the signal in Boston's Christ Church steeple. Remember the code, one if by land and two if by sea. Two lanterns hung briefly in the belfry. The British are coming across the water. And so at 9.30, William Dawes mounted his horse and left Boston to warn the countryside. His partner didn't leave for another 30 minutes. Paul Revere. Paul Revere. We hear of Paul Revere, but the guy who was available first and went out first was William Dawes. They were later captured, eventually released, and had to walk back to Boston. But we only remember Paul Revere. William Dawes was equally important in sharing this news that starts our whole War of Independence and why we even celebrate this 4th of July. So even though Epaphroditus played a small part, he was also important in spreading the gospel, just like William Dawes played a small part, was important in spreading the news. Paul encourages us all to welcome people like that and honor them. So if being available is such an important thing, why aren't we? more available to those God places in our path. Well, partly I think it's because we are too busy to be available. 
That was the point of part of the story of the Good Samaritan, wasn't it? Because the religious people, the guy was laying over there and they decided, well, he's along this side of the road. It's pretty sketchy. I'll just take a detour this way because I got a church meeting to go to. One of them said, you know, I've just been to a church meeting and I'm tired. I don't need to mess with it. So a lot of times we've just been so busy, we don't have any reserves left to be available for the folks that God puts in our path. Sometimes we might be afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen. And that's a, in our day and age, that's a real concern. Sometimes it is risky to put yourself out there. But either one, fear or just complete busyness, means we need to take control of our feelings or our schedules, our time, our energy, and our stuff in order to be available to other people. So we're going to think about what we need to do. What's the point if we don't learn from the story of this? Remember what Jesus said to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And because we become worried and upset about many things, our focus is on ourselves. Our focus is on our troubles. Our focus is on something other than being available to those that God puts into our path. When in fact, many people tell us that serving others, helping others, blessing others is actually great medicine. It helps. When we get out of ourselves and help other people, we don't feel quite so alone. We don't feel quite so bad. Remember, being a good neighbor starts with availability, not proximity. So, our next steps. A couple things you could think about. What, what would you walk away with today? Uh, and, and how would you put that into practice? Very easy things. First of all, look inside. Inside your house. Inside where you live. And say, is there a possibility I'm not being available to even my friends and my family that, that really are close to me? Is it possible that I am too distracted? Is it possible that I'm so busy that I really haven't given the time that I need to the people that are closest to me. Now, have you noticed sometimes that we don't do that? We give time to everybody else, but we don't give time to the people closest to us. No person ever said on their deathbed, I wish I had done more of my chores. I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish I had spent more time weeding my garden or whatever hobby they have. I wish I did more of that. They all say the same thing. I wasted so much time being away from the people that were closest to me. So being a good neighbor is being involved and available to the people who God puts in your path. And that could be your family. could be your friends. But let's look outside as well. Let's look in your neighborhood, in your community, and in the world. Can you be available to people who really you're not that close to emotionally, but God puts into your path? G.K. Chesterton said, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. God puts those people in our path. Uh, We've been on several mission trips. We go to Romania. We've been there about nine times. Lots of folks go on mission trips, and and I would suggest that all of you, if you ever have the opportunity, the means, uh, ought to take a trip like that, simply because it introduces you to a group of people and a world that you may not know. And it always, people always come back saying, man, I learned a lot. I feel like uh, I am more blessed than ever before. It really does a lot. But do you know that you can take a mission trip every time you leave your front door? 
You don't have to spend all that money and have a passport. All you have to do is when you go outside and look around and say, God, whoever you put in my path today, help me be wise enough to figure out how to bless them. It could be just a kind word. That may be all for now. It could be a number of things. But there's your mission field. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, I really like what he says. He says, when you pray, watch what happens next. Because you you never know what's going to happen. But if you're not in tune to what's going to happen next, you may miss the opportunity just like Epaphroditus could have when they asked for volunteers. Now, you could say, as you get up in the morning, Lord, make me available to anybody that you bring in my path and help me understand how I should bless them. And then when that person walks in, but not that guy, you know, not the guy at work who bugs me, you know, not the person at the store, whatever. No, not that person. But really... Watch what happens next. And if you're watchful, you will find that God brings people into your path that you are able to bless. And so that's my challenge to you. This week, as you leave your comfortable space, ask God to say, make me available like Epaphroditus to anyone who comes in to my path. Now remember, you don't have to move people closer to God by preaching a sermon. All you have to do is be available, just like Epaphroditus. Uh, Sometimes we're privileged to meet a person and then find out because of what we've done, they've come close to to God and and followed Jesus. And sometimes we're not. All we have to do is be available. The Bible says we are now Christ's ambassadors as though God were appealing directly through you, to you through us. I like the uh, message version. John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Speaking of Jesus. Can Jesus move into your neighborhood? Not physically. But if you are Christ's ambassadors, Jesus has moved into your neighborhood. And your responsibility only is to be available and watch what happens next. A group of uh, very high-powered pastors were gathered in a southern city, a megaplex kind of city. And they gathered with city officials, and they were asking, what are the biggest problems our city has to conquer that we could all get together and solve? Do you know what the city officials said? Teach your people to be good neighbors. If you can do that, our problems will be solved. Remember, being a good neighbor begins with availability, not proximity. What would your neighbors say if you moved out of the neighborhood? Would anybody miss you? You are Christ's ambassadors. You are his hands and feet who've moved into the neighborhood Let's take an example from that obscure character in the Bible, Epaphroditus, who says, I'm willing to go, no matter what happens. You can do that. That's easy. You've got plenty of chances even today. You can do it. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this whole week where we celebrate independence, freedom. But because we are your ambassadors, and we're ambassadors of a kingdom that is not of this world, we have responsibilities. 
And sometimes we look at it and we think, man, there's just nothing. I'm just a person. I'm just an ordinary person in the middle of southern Indiana. There's absolutely nothing that I can do to be an ambassador to your kingdom. Help us to see that it's not that hard. Take, take heart. Help us to take heart from the example here of Epaphroditus who just went and watched what happened. We pray that this week you will bring some people into our path that we will see as God moments, divinely appointed moments where we have a chance to be your hands and feet. Bless us as we walk out of here into our mission field. I pray this in Jesus' name.